0: Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal Word relating to events in this day and what it means to you. And now, your host, Jeff Jenkins. Greetings, glad to have you again
1: for part three. We have just been truly enjoying ourselves with Dr. Gonzalez and Stephen Strew. We were talking about the stars, the galaxy, and ID, intelligent design. And we're going to go into other topics today. Stephen Strew is going to help me. We're going to go into the the, the Big Bang Theory and uh, so many wonderful topics. And so, Professor Gonzalez, uh, you're you're known for, and you've been actually uh,
2: thrust into the political limelight over the last, what, months, years? Yes, um, since publication of my book in 2004, Privileged Planet. But in particular, uh, over the last few months yeah, uh, uh, since uh, a film based on the book was shown at the Smithsonian Institution in mm-hmm. Washington DC in June of this year, 2005, and uh, there's been a lot of uh, positive and,
3: unfortunately, negative reaction <laughs> against it, mostly from people who actually misunderstand what it's about. One of the statements that uh, I remember Carl Sagan making, and l- when we uh, finished the last broadcast, we were talking a little bit of, uh, about uh, this, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, the SETI program, and uh, there was a, a popular film called uh, Contact, based on that uh, on the on the idea that uh, we might discover evidence for uh, extraterrestrial um, intelligence outside of our our Earth, and and obviously even uh, beyond our galaxy. Um, the the statement that I recall Carl Sagan making um, as a materialist, uh, believing that matter and energy is all there is, and the statement that he made is that it's matter and energy is all there is, uh, or ever was, or ever will be. Yes. Uh, what uh, philosophical position does, is, does that mean that he's coming from? And as we discuss that, are there other philosophies? that um, govern the way that scientific research is done today? And has it always been that way? Uh, so perhaps you could just go, go off in, in that direction and sure. uh, talk about the historical context. Why was Carl Sagan so popular? And why were these ideas so popular? And w- where did things change if they did change?
2: Well, Carl Sagan, uh, yes, in his dictum, the cosmos is all that ever was or is or ever will be, was stating very poetically and very succinctly Uh, the idea called scientific materialism, Mm -hmm. uh, that basically everything we see around us is explainable in terms of uh, just the impersonal laws of nature and atoms Mm -hmm. bumping with atoms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't always this way. Science, uh, I I think, uh, took uh, a wrong turn, a detour, Mm -hmm. uh, around the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it wasn't like that uh, for centuries before. In fact, uh, science and uh, religion, science and theology, if you want to put it that way, uh, were friends for several centuries uh, mm-hmm. before they came into apparent conflict, as exemplified by Carl Sagan's uh, views. Uh, they were actually friends, not only were they friends, uh, but uh, theology, or more specifically Christian theology, gave birth to science, mm-hmm. to modern science, mm-hmm. uh, beginning in the uh, mm-hmm. um, medieval period with the uh, scholastics, and especially into the early Renaissance uh, with Copernicus and uh, Kepler, Galileo, and Newton, and, and, and many more uh, after them. Uh, but all these uh, great scientists were, uh, in fact, Christians. Mm-hmm. In fact, they were deeply believing Christians, most of them. Mm. Uh, they believed that they were understanding something about God uh, by studying nature. Mm. So they would learn something about uh, the, the God's attributes, uh, God's qualities by studying uh, his creation. And they started with uh, explicitly theological assumptions, namely that the universe would be orderly, Hmm. uh, that they would be able to discover orderly laws that governed the way the universe operated because the same God who gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the laws, the moral laws Mm -hmm. which we would live by, Mm -hmm. also made the universe to be governed by laws of nature. And they thought they could discover these laws. Mm -hmm. And so they had an expectation that they would discover uh, these simple laws uh, that God had uh, created. Uh, this wasn't the case with many other cultures. They mm-hmm. didn't expect the universe to be or, or so orderly. Not only that, because we're created in the image of God, uh, we, we were uh, could trust our faculties. We, we have rational minds, and so we could understand the universe. Mm-hmm. And so the universe is orderly and intelligible. Mm-hmm. And so they had great confidence that this new enterprise that they were engaging in called science would be a successful one. And in fact, uh, science only arose once in human history. It was in Christian Western Europe in the early Renaissance period. Mm. Uh, no other culture produced science and historians today uh, and the philosophers of science are pretty much unanimous in their agreement that uh, deeply theological assumptions underwrite modern science, and that explains why it was able to arise
3: mm. in Western
2: Europe mm-hmm. and nowhere else. No other belief system had the right set of assumptions to lead them to think that uh, the they should be successful in, in sci- and, and they're doing science.
1: Okay. So Christianity embraced science then and today science opposes the the Christian concept of a, That's a right. creator. That's right. It's kind of ironic.
2: It, it is ironic and it's backwards mm-hmm. it seems. It is, yeah. uh, unfortunately history took a wrong turn uh, especially with the rise of Enlighten, enlightenment rationalism mm-hmm. uh, in the later Renaissance and into the 19th century. <laughs> the idea that progress comes only to the extent to which we rid ourselves of all religious beliefs. Hmm. And so uh, they were actually, Enlightenment rationalists and, and historians in the 19th century rewrote history. How they actually uh, started up a bunch of myths that are still with us today. The myth that uh, most educated people in the medieval period and the Renaissance, early Renaissance, believed in a flat earth, for example,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or that uh, uh, the church, is the one who started the idea of a geocentric earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, All these are myths, actually. Uh, And um, historians of science today are unanimous in their, uh, pretty much unanimous in their conclusions that, actually, Christianity gave birth to modern science. And it was based on deeply theological assumptions. Uh, And that all these various myths you hear about uh, the church uh, opposing the advance of science and and spreading these superstitious uh, or wrong ideas are actually false. Well, of all things. Hmm. Uh,
3: yeah. But Galileo was opposed by the church, is that not true?
2: Galileo is brought up as the iconic example uh, of science versus religion. So, mm-hmm. dogmatic, intolerant religion on the one hand, and this free minded, open, inquiring scientist on the other. And therefore, uh, since Galileo won the debate, uh, therefore, dogmatic uh, religion lost and so science advanced. In fact it was a battle between two scientific views. Mm -hmm. There were the Aristotelian uh, astronomers of the period who bought into Aristotle's and Ptolemy's cosmology wherein the earth was at the center of the cosmos, geocentrism. Mm -hmm. And Galileo was part of the Copernican view, namely that the Sun was at the center, Mm -hmm. not the earth. And so there are actually two opposing scientific views that were uh, around at that time and Mm -hmm. were held by scientists at the time astronomers mm-hmm. on different camps the church sided uh, with the Aristotelian uh, professors mm-hmm. uh, and they turned out to be wrong mm-hmm. but Galileo's at, at fault partly also he had, had turned out to be very arrogant and he, <laughs> he wanted people to immediately adopt his ideas <laughs> and actually the reason he gave for the uh, Copernican model namely that the earth moves around the Sun turned out to be wrong he argued that it's because of the earth's motion around the sun that we get the tides.
3: Mm-hmm. See,
2: the earth doesn't actually have to be moving to get the tides. So he actually turned out to be wrong in his reason mm-hmm. for, uh, that he gave for uh, the, uh, the Copernican model. But nevertheless, the church was wrong in the way it tried to uh, stop Galileo from spreading this idea. So there's a lesson for uh, religious believers, uh, but there's also a lesson for people who would try to use this as propaganda Uh, against religion Mm -hmm. and that it's not the simple uh, science versus religion example they would like you to think.
3: But it seems that today the intolerance is on the part of the of the scientists. They're accusing the church of being intolerant to to Galileo and Copernicus and yet today they exhibit the same intolerance to anything that's different from what they currently hold to be revealed truth.
2: I would say yeah, that the tables are turned and uh, it's the scientific materialists Mm -hmm. who uh, deny the possibility even that the universe could display any objective evidence of design Mm -hmm. and therefore possibly evidence of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they're being intolerant of uh, uh, a new class of uh, uh, scientists, call themselves intelligent design researchers, and uh, who are simply following the evidence where it leads, uh, the evidence of nature, which is now pointing towards... um, evidence of design. It almost seems that if if time were to go
1: on and the history books were going to be written about our day that we would have uh, thousands of years of belief in intelligent design and creationism a fifty year gap of Darwinism and thousands (laughs) more years of belief in in creationism.
2: (laughs) I I, I, I like to think that this is just a temporary kind of a detour yeah. that science has taken down the wrong path and eventually they'll find out it's the wrong way because yeah. we're discover- we'll be discovering more and more things about the universe that don't fit yeah. this uh, philosophy of scientific materialism. I, I believing in a, uh, in a creator and a point of origin
1: and that something that God spoke and said let there be, uh, that there was some a beginning. Uh, Then uh, that uh, that always reminds me of the Big Bang theory and something having a, a specific point of origin. I don't know. I visualize a flash of light and things be going out, 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 out. And could could you explain more of that from a scientific perspective? Sure.
3: And and actually, just to tie that in, uh, brother Jeff, with the, with what you were saying about uh, the the the, call it the intolerism, there was a similar. case, we're looking at intelligent design now as being uh, the, uh, the, um, the the skeleton in the closet, so to speak, of science. They, they don't want it to be, be revealed because that may lead away from their material, scientific materialism. But it wasn't that long ago that we had exactly the same thing happening with the uh, so-called Big Bang
2: Theory. That's right. I think it teaches us uh, a lesson. Mm-hmm. It's a lesson from history. A mm-hmm. uh, hundred years ago, uh, scientists and philosophers, educated people, were pretty much unanimous in their view that the universe was eternal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was no evidence to indicate that there was a beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looked like uh, the universe was static. Uh, Mm -hmm. It had always been here, and therefore, why even bother asking the question, who caused it Mm -hmm. or what caused it? Mm -hmm. If it's always been here, it explains itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed to support uh, materialism, and and theists were kind of... uh, in a bad way at that time (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, but then came along Edwin Hubble who discovered uh, that um, these uh, nebulae that had been observed for several centuries prior to that were actually distant galaxies Mm -hmm. and that they're moving away from us Mm -hmm. and so um, he made the discovery that the universe was expanding Mm. it was a dynamic universe at the same time um, uh, from the theoretical point of view by applying uh, Einstein's general theory of relativity to the whole universe, uh, some uh, theoretical physicists uh, were discovering that the possibility that the universe might be dynamic as well. Mm. Uh, Lamart, a Belgian priest, and then a Friedman, a, a Russian a physicist, uh, independently uh, came up uh, from the theoretical side that the universe might be dynamic. Mm. And so these, this confluence of these, uh, this discovery from two different directions, that the universe was dynamic, it wasn't static, Mm-hmm. Uh, and was, had profound implications. Yes. What does it mean that the universe is dynamic, that it's expanding? Well, think of it as a movie that you're watching on your VCR, right. uh, watching, or in modern day, watching it with your DVD player. right? And suppose you played that movie backwards of the universe up to this point. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of expanding, as you play the tape or the DVD backwards, it starts contracting, right? Yes. You, you, you watch the universe contract. You reach a point eventually where it just contracts to a point and then nothing. So there had to be a beginning, in other mm. words. A dynamic, expanding universe implies that the universe had a beginning. Wow, what a profound discovery. Yeah. That was the greatest paradigm shift in all of science. Mm-hmm. The discovery, going from the belief that the universe was eternal right. to the discovery that the universe has an age. Mm-hmm. You can actually study the question of an age to the universe scientifically. Mm. And so, so, if it has a beginning, that means wow. it has to have a beginner. That's, That's, That's beautiful. Right. That's beautiful. And many scientists opposed that at the time because it flatly contradicted their scientific materialism.
3: Right. And, and Fred Hoyle the one that came up with the derogatory term. Right. He actually used that to uh, the Big Bang. to ridicule. This, uh, this, this new theory that had come out uh, with Edwin Hubble's observations mm-hmm. and uh, he called it the Big Bang well. because uh, he, you know, he said, how, how ridiculous mm. to, to think everything started with just the Big Bang. Well, yes. of course, it turned out for all the good uh, science that uh, Sir Fred Hoyle mm-hmm. uh, accomplished, um, on this point, he was wrong.
2: Well, my. That's right. And he he uh, proposed a competing theory called steady state, which tried to salvage the idea of an eternal universe, mm-hmm. uh, but it didn't work. It was mm-hmm. falsified eventually with observations in the 1960s. Uh, although he never actually gave up on that theory, uh, even kept it to his death, even though just about every co- other cosmologist on the planet had already, <laughs> has already uh, discarded it. <laughs> so if, can, can we, or
1: I, this is a question for you for sure,
2: if we could
1: play the DVD back Can science then determine the basic age of our universe? Yes. Uh, Okay, that's interesting.
2: Today, we actually think we have a pretty good estimate for the age of the universe. It's about 13.7 billion years, give or take about 0.1 billion years. Hmm. Uh, It's amazing we can have such precision in determining the age of the universe. And uh, that's because we can discover things about the universe very effectively. So, there's
1: not so many variables. And, and things so random
2: that's everything right is ordered it's so orderly. It's, it's such an ordered universe that yeah. we can ask questions such as what is the age of the universe i mean imagine that's <laughs> a kid when you know small kids the kinds of questions they ask are where did i come from right how long have you been here how long have i been here yeah and these are the kinds of questions the fundamental questions yeah. are often asked by children yeah well these this is one of the most fundamental questions you can ask did the universe always exist or did it come into the beginning uh mm-hmm. sometime in the finite past and when did that happen? It's amazing we can even a- ask the question and answer it mm-hmm. with the expectation that we can answer. Oh, that's it. absolutely incredible.
1: So they do that with what computer model? How do they do that? Yes,
2: then? the uh, one well one way of doing it is to actually measure how fast the galaxies are moving apart, moving and away. And how from do we know how fast they are moving apart? You can measure it with a technique called the Doppler method. Mm-hmm. And it's like listening to a train that's going by mm-hmm. or or an ambulance that's going by is it's mm-hmm. coming towards you uh... the siren sounds like a higher pitch it's going away from you the pitch sounds a bit lower mm. and the same thing happens with light so we could just measure this with by studying the light from the distance s- galaxies and we can measure how fast they're moving towards us or away from us and most of, almost all of them are moving away from us so they're red shifted as it's called okay and so from that you can get uh, how fast the universe is expanding and then we can measure the distances wow. and we can measure the distances using what's called astronomical standard candles and again that that also didn't have to be that way, right. the existence of standard candles. It's another one of those kind of set-up or put-up jobs, that <laughs> I like to put it.
3: Um, and, but if you're saying that everything seems to be expanding away from Earth, doesn't that put Earth at the center then?
2: Yeah, that's, that's uh, often uh, misunderstood uh, take uh, on, on the Big Bang. It looks like everything's moving away from us. Well, as it turns out, if you put the observer in any other galaxy, uh, they would observe the same expansion for of the rest of the galaxy from other galaxies so basically it's every galaxy moving away from every other galaxy it's not that they're moving away from a central point for example it's not that the explosion took place at the Earth's location right. and and right. everything's moving away from it but rather ex- uh, everything is expanding like a, like a three-dimensional object like a sponge cake or just a cake you're baking is right a, it's expanding uh... in in your oven uh... or a raisin cake let's say you're right Put you yourself on a raisin. Uh, <laughs> ma- imagine that as the galaxy. Right. Put yourself on the raisin, and you measure <laughs> the expansion rate of every other raisin in the raisin cake. Mm-hmm. It, it, if you plot an equation or a plot of the distance versus expansion speed, you find that the more distant raisins are moving away from you faster than the close closer ones. My. That's just a result of the geometry of the expanding raisin cake. And so the universe is like that, and every galaxy is moving away from every other galaxy, even though from the vantage point of one particular raisin, it looks like he's the center, but it's how not really the center.
1: <laughs> now, do there de- is no center. There is no center, and right. then how do they determine the speed of, or the rate of speed at which it is expanding? It's
2: de- all—it's all relative to us. So it's all relative rates. That's all we can measure. Okay. Relative speeds. Okay. And we plot out what's called the Hubble diagram, which is uh, recession velocity versus distance, and hmm. it's a straight line. It's a linear relationship, and. Uh, you can get the age of the universe from that. Because if you know how far apart they are and how fast they're moving away from each other, you can figure out how long it takes for them to be together again. How interesting. Are there
3: any other, um, and, we, and we've talked about this a little bit in the previous program, but these these kinds of discoveries that we've seen historically, you said that it was strictly confined to Western Christian yes. um, civil... Is the there rise enough, of science. The rise of sciences. What about, we hear so much about the... the um, the uh, Chinese uh, history and and uh, things that they could accomplish?
2: Yes, absolutely. There's no question that other cultures made great technological discoveries. Mm -hmm. You know, the Chinese uh, invented the the compass uh, and uh, gunpowder and other, they had had lots of observations of the stars because Mm -hmm. but they use those for their astrology Mm -hmm. Uh, and the ancient Greeks made uh, many contributions to philosophy and mathematics Mm-hmm. And they invented many things but technology is not the same as science mm-hmm. see technological innovation for example apprenticeship mm-hmm. is something that you pass on to the next generation you have an, a, uh, a person who's skilled yep. and he's passing on his knowledge to a younger person who's learning it from him uh, but that's not the same as science you see it's not just passing on knowledge but it's way of learning new things about the universe in a systematic way the scientific method is actually very specific. It's uh, being able to make observations, uh, propose hypotheses, uh, test them against theories, and so you propose new observations to try to falsify your hypotheses mm-hmm. and so on. It's a very systematized way of learning about the universe and trying to understand the mechanisms behind the phenomena we see. Mm. So it's not the same as inventing a, a new device, for example, yeah. or... or, or uh, just trying to teach somebody how, how, how to knit something together. you know. Yeah. Th- those are important things right. that we need right. to learn. And, of course, science needs technological tools. Right. That's part of it. Sure. But it's not the whole story. It's actually a, a method of yeah. discovering about the universe.
3: So what pers- what percentage of, of scientists were Christians, these ones that you, mm-hmm. you mentioned a, a few, yeah. uh, Kepler and, and Newton? Yes. Uh, was there a, a great percentage, or do we know that percentage?
2: Uh, between the critical period of 1543 and 1680, 1543, there's a publication of uh, Copernicus' Copernicus's book, De, Rul- De <laughs> um on the revolutions of the heavy, heavenly spheres. Mm-hmm. It was published in 1543, and if you go to what's considered near the end of the early scientific revolution, 1680, uh, Rodney Stark, a sociologist, has actually studied all the great scientists mm. uh, during this period, uh, 52 of them, I believe, And he asked the question, okay, were they religious or were they not religious? Hmm. And he tabulated all the scores of all the great scientists between 1543 and 1680. Out of the 52 scientists, 50 were religious. Wow. Only two were not, uh, Halley and Paracelsus.
1: Hmm.
2: I wonder if that's true of the musicians and composers of their... That would be interesting. Yeah, that would be an interesting study as well. Certainly Bach was uh, very religious and he had uh, many important... uh, Works that he produced yeah, and he invented the oh, organ. Yeah,
1: exactly. That is incredible. We're talking with uh, Professor Gonzalez, and we've been thoroughly enjoying ourselves. Uh, he's the co author of Privileged Planet, and uh, we're going to be carrying on for just a few more minutes, enjoying ourselves tremendously. Uh, Professor Gonzalez, um, I find that uh, this topic is, is wonderful. I think of Romans chapter 1, particularly, because the scripture says that we can know God by the creation. And yes. so that if a man, perhaps, um, never saw a Bible, uh, a heathen in the jungles, he could look up to the stars, he could look around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was Abraham Lincoln that uh, said that when I see man, I wonder. And in his, uh, he was referring to man's state of deprived state. Abraham Lincoln. He says, "I wonder if there's a God." He says, "But when I will look up to the stars." He says,
2: "I know there has to be a creator." Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This idea that. Uh, you can know something about God, at least his existence mm-hmm. and his power and etern- his eternal qualities by studying nature. Yeah. Uh, has been something that has, has been impressed on people of many times and many mm-hmm. cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all, many of them have an idea of a creator God mm-hmm. because of the testimony of the creation to them. Yeah. And so this idea of a creator God, even in c- cultures where you wouldn't expect the idea of a creator to be very... Uh, Important, right? These still individual people in that culture, uh, even those that haven't been contacted by missionaries yet, right. um, haven't been influenced by missionaries, have right. this idea of, of a of creator a Absolutely. because they've had the testimony of, yeah. of nature, and they've. Yeah. So it's a very deep, intuitive, belief that many people all around the world in every culture have.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, even amongst the San uh, tribes in, uh, in uh, Southern Africa. We, mm-hmm. we used to know them as Bushmen. Yeah. Um, I heard of a missionary that went in and, and was sitting around a campfire at night and mm-hmm. the sparks were flying up and uh, they were talking about God and, and uh, about uh, a creator mm-hmm. and, and this old elderly uh, lady mm-hmm. said um, we know this. We know this by looking at the stars. They had to come from somewhere. Uh, we know there's a creator. What we want to know is what is his name? Hmm. And uh, he said, well, I can tell you that his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. My. And uh, the tears just started coming into her eyes. It welled up and rolling down her cheeks. And you, the, just the relief mm-hmm. that she, uh, like something that she'd struggled with all her life, <laughs> to know who this creator is. And this, these missionaries were able to come and give her that information. And she just immediately accepted it as if there was a part of eternity within her yes. that was just responding to that name. That's and beautiful. so it's a, just a real-life example of Romans 1.20. Yeah. The invisible things of Him from the creation are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, absolutely yes. beautiful. Can you take the next uh, 20 seconds to talk to children about our habitable zone that we live in? I thought okay. it would be interesting.
2: Sure. Uh, we live in a habitable zone, mm-hmm. uh, not only around the sun, right. where we can have liquid water on the surface of a planet, right. uh, but where you live in a habitable zone in the galaxy, yeah. uh, where you can have a civilization at just the right place in the Milky Way galaxy, yeah. where it's not too dangerous, and yet you have enough building blocks to build a planet like the Earth.
1: How wonderful. It's been great. We've had uh, three sessions so far, and uh, we're very uh, glad that you can be in tune with us. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.
0: This program concludes our series of three with Professor Gonzalez on our unique planet called, Called Earth. This has been a special place that God has designed to place His children for child training, to gain character development and to learn to trust and have faith in Him. There will be a people that will rule and reign with Christ on this earth when He returns as the son of David to be the king over the whole earth. He will have a queen that's going to be his bride, the true church. And so this series of programs is to help you establish you can be part of that group to rule and reign with Christ for all of eternity. See you next week. Today's program is one in a three-part series available on a DVD entitled The Select Planets." During the program, Brother Jeff Jenkins mentioned two timely documentaries. The first, The Privileged Planet uses animation, interviews, and stunning images of the cosmos to explore today's topic in depth. The second, Unlocking the Mystery of Life, looks at the complexity of life and the question, what brought all of this into existence? All of these DVDs may be obtained by visiting us on the web at globalanswers.us and clicking on the Resource Center link. You also write to us at Global Answers at 1695 Stewart Road in Lima, Ohio, 45801 in the USA. We'd love to hear from you. Email your questions or comments to us at info at Thank you for joining us, and may our Lord Jesus Christ...